For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What is happening, gang? Now that you've survived the Super Bowl, gotten through the social distance hangover, and realized there won't be a game for another six months, what in the world do you do now? Well, that is right. Now is the time to monetize your podcast. We at IFP love Podcorn. It's the ultimate podcast marketplace that hooks up podcasters with brands and vice versa. If you're a podcaster looking to monetize your show but don't know where to start, look no further than Podcorn. Podcorn makes it super simple for you to see brands who are interested in promoting their products on your show. The platform is bananas easy and simple to use. So simple, Rick is this week legit using it. And for brands looking to get the word out, Podcorn is the perfect place for you to create an organic advertising campaign that naturally integrates with shows that literally everybody loves. So what are you waiting for? Jump on the old Bing machine and head over to podcorn.com to get rolling today and start making that cash. What is happening, gang? We have got a super fun show for you today. It's super because we're diving into the Super Bowl. We're going to get Bill's inside take on everything that happened in Super Bowl 55, from why the Bucks were so dominant to what the game plan Byron Leftwich and Todd Bowles put forward and what happened with Kansas City. Did they adjust? Is it a function of... Tampa Bay just dominating them. All of your questions will be answered. And then the Audible, we go into detail on Bill's thoughts on the Hall of Fame class of 2021 and a little bit of Deshaun Watson talk, as I think that's going to permeate a lot of Audible questions for the rest of the offseason. All right, so sit back, relax, and get ready. This is the Inside Football Podcast with Bill Polian, and this is our look at Super Bowl 55. All right, gang. Well, we are live on the Inside Football Podcast with Bill Polian, and we are here today to review Super Bowl 55. And for those of you who listen closely like my wife did, might have said to me about eight times during the game, I'm pretty sure Bill was right about every single thing he said was going to happen in the game. So without further ado, uh, on behalf of Jen and the rest of my family, thank you, Bill, for giving us everything we needed to be fully prepped and ready to roll for uh, Super Bowl 55. Rick, why don't you give us a little format on what we're doing today i, I just gotta say uh, you know that sage and scholar yogi barra said the hardest thing to predict is the future well mr polian took care of that for us so what we'll do is we'll start off with bill's overview of what happened and then we'll take you through the game and uh give you his thoughts on specific things and uh we'll, we'll, and you know we'll, we'll conclude at the end with some other thoughts so bill take it away okay thank you um this is, a, in many ways, an old-fashioned, uh, underlying that, uh, both whooping, uh, as, this, <laughs> as the, the saying goes in football. Blank whooping. And, and an old 
uh, old-fashioned kind of game. And Bruce Aarons uh, reaffirmed that to me yesterday. He appears uh, weekly on uh, our Sirius uh, radio show. And, uh, and he confirmed exactly what I thought I had seen. This was uh, uh, a 19, uh, late 1980s, early 1990s style game plan. 50-50 run pass ratio or close to it. Um, heavy reliance on uh, play action passing and, uh, and, and heavy reliance uh, offensively on, on motion and formation to create mismatches, which the Bucks took very, very good uh, advantage of. Um, but it, at its core, this was a game that was turned over to the offensive line and the running backs, and, and they said win it, and, and they did. They, they beat the living daylights out of the Kansas City front seven, and that set everything else up. Now, parenthetically, before we get into uh, specifics, because it really is interesting, it's a great coaching job. Um, that that's the big takeaway. Um, I understand if, if you're looking for me to talk about Tom Brady and Gronk and all the wonderful stories, you came to the wrong place because that's not what happened. Number one, Brady's job was relatively easy. Yes, he had to do it. I, yes, I understand all the intangibles he brings to the Buccaneers, the, the, the confidence and all of that stuff. Uh, yes, Gronk is a great player. There's no question about that. And, and I understand that, you know, they're going to Disneyland and Tom's the MVP and all of that. But that's not football. That's storyland. And, and, and I don't choose to play in that arena. So with that disclaimer, you can, you can click off now if you don't like it. The real MVPs here were... Coach Aaron's for getting his team ready and getting them ready to play a physical game uh, against an opponent that was not real physical and, and recognizing that. And the two coordinators, uh, Brian, Byron Lefwich and Todd Bowles, for putting together magnificent game plans. And uh, uh, with that said, uh, yeah, the players do have to execute. There's no two ways about that. It's a player's game. It's it's almost never in the Super Bowl, the X's and O's. It's almost always the Johnnies and Joes. This was the exception, just as the Patriot Rams Super Bowl a couple of years ago was the exception. Um, every once in a while, you get one like that, and, and this was the case. The X's and O's won this game. The Johnnies and Joes executed, but the game plan was terrific. And parenthetically... In, in you know to pat Tom Brady and company on the on the back, um, you have to have the Johnnies and Joes. Otherwise, the great the greatest game plan in the world wouldn't work. So uh, they get credit for executing it. But the real story is is the X's and O's. So with that said, um, the Bucks emphasized the inside run, traps, zone run, power runs inside. They, they used play action off it, 
every touchdown pass and almost three quarters of all the passes thrown in the game were off play action. Bruce specifically mentioned trap pass, and he specifically mentioned that we ran trap pass in 1998 in, in, uh, in Indianapolis when he was the quarterback coach and Tom Moore was the offensive coordinator and Peyton Manning was a rookie. So uh, th there is nothing new under the sun, which was his point. Um, they used formations to create mismatches. They let Brait be the tight end, and they made Gronk the wing so they could put him in motion and switch him from side to side to create matchups and coverage. Um, they used Haig um, in certain jumbo situations and, and left Gronk as the wing, so he was available at all times as a pass rusher. And excellent use of his talents and excellent use of, 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 of him as either a decoy or a primary receiver. And on, I believe it was on the first touchdown, uh, he was a wing on the right-hand side. They sent him in zoom motion. They faked the inside run. The, the, the fake held the corner who was supposed to cover Gronk, and he slipped out into the, into the flat wide open for a touchdown. Great design. It, it didn't take much execution be like standing on the sideline playing catch. That's what it amounted to. <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, again, not knocking Tom. I mean, he. The, the, the real story is the play design here. And so uh, it, it was just a, a, a great job of scouting the opposition and, and then getting together and putting together a game plan that worked. Um, Fournette, Carried, did the bulk of the work as he has done uh, throughout the playoffs. Uh, uh, what's his nickname? Lenny Playoff, I guess. Yeah. Uh, Dash for cash. Yeah. Dash for cash. Dash yes. cash. Uh, he ran 16 for 89, 5.5. Uh, Jones was uh, 12 for 61, 5.1. They were 28 for uh, 150. 5.3. That'll win every football game every week in the NFL unless you turn it over six times, which they, of course, did not. And when you run for 150 against a good team, you've done a great job. But more importantly, they recognized that there was only one guy they had to contend with on the front of the Kansas City Chiefs, and that was Chris Jones. And they wore him out running at him. They just wore him out. By the end of the game, he he was he, he w couldn't be a factor against the pass because he'd taken so many body blows with the run, and, and and at the same time he became so frustrated that Jensen taunted him into a, a big penalty, which was hurtful. It it, it you know it took them out of a uh, put them in a scoring situation. So um, an incredibly good job, and. People who are, uh, have grown up with the wide open Wild West passing game, which we've had, you know, in the 2000s and, 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 and most recently, uh, you know, in, in this, this decade, don't recognize that the running game has a, a role be, just beyond gaining yards or even scoring touchdowns. This is a physical game. It's physical combat. 
It's a prize fight without gloves. That's what it amounts to. And that's especially true in the trenches. And when you beat on someone and you whack them and you move them and you keep punching them for three quarters or four quarters, sooner or later, those hands come down just like a fighter does and you land the knockout blow. And the knockout blow in this game was the 27-yard run for the touchdown by Fournette in the middle of the third quarter after the Chiefs had gotten the ball to open the quarter and marched down the field, got stalled by a penalty, I believe, and had to kick a field goal. And and Kansas, and uh, Tampa Bay came right back and just pummeled them. And it ended with a 27-yard run for a touchdown. And the game was over at that point. And I mentioned to my family with whom I was watching the game. If this were a prize fight, it's a TKO right now. It's over. They end it. And uh, the referee ends it. And, and so more credit to them. You know, more credit to them. They, it, it was a great game plan. They executed it perfectly. It did everything that the running game is supposed to do. Set up the passing game, uh, create problems, eat clock, keep the ball away from uh, from uh, Mahomes uh, and, and finally bring the other team to their knees. So classic, as Bruce Aaron said, classic 1980s game plan. You know, just it, it, it might as well have been Bill Parcells in the <laughs> 1980s. <laughs> um, and, and more and it's fun to see. It's fun to see. It's it, it, it's good football. Um defensively, an even better game plan. We said last week um, that there was only one way to stop the Chiefs, and that is to double Kelsey and double Hill and dare anybody else to beat you. Now, that's easier said than done, and the safer way to do that than manning up all the time because you can get a freak situation where a guy might fall down you get a wide open Hardman or somebody like that will actually happen and, and uh, you got to execute which they didn't Hardman dropped the ball but the the, the safer way to do that and the, the, the better way to frustrate um, the quarterback is to is to zone it now teaching zone is hard to do People think that it's easy. Oh, just cover your zone. No, that's okay at Mount St. Michael Academy at the high school level. Right. It doesn't work <laughs> at the at at the at the pro level. You have to teach drop angles. You have to teach landmarks. The seven back defenders have to if it's seven that you're using has to know have to know and trust that the guy next to him on either side is going to be where he belongs because you can't stray from your zone. You have to sit in it and wait for the receiver to come to you. And you have to read the quarterback's eyes. One of the coaching points that Tony Dungy emphasized over and over and over again to our guys, and it took, a, it took us the better part of a year, I think, to learn it, was that if there's someone in front of you, there's someone behind you. <laughs> Do not go to the guy in front of you until the ball is thrown. 
then you rally up. That's the coaching point, rally up. But don't go to that front guy. Don't bite for the cheese. Don't keep dropping, keep dropping. It takes a hell of a lot of practice and a hell of a lot of discipline to do that. And teams that dabble with Tampa 2, for example, like the Cowboys did a couple of years ago, if they don't know how to teach it, just mess it up completely. It would drive me crazy. I'd watch the Cowboys play and I'd just scream at the television set. <laughs> That's wrong. It's wrong technique. When there's someone in front of you, there's someone behind you. <laughs> you know, you're not going to the right landmark. That's because they don't understand the, the, the details of how this is done. So that's a long way of explaining that there are a lot of details to cover. Tampa Bay is a blitzing man-to-man team. That's their basic identity. So to flip the, squ- the, 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 the script and say we're going to be primarily a zone team and a disciplined zone team, knowing our landmarks and trusting the guy next to us, trusting that that when Kelsey runs a pivot route, I sit right where I am until the ball, ball's thrown so I don't let him slip past me. That takes a lot of discipline and a lot of coaching. And and they, they, they would not have been able to do it in one week. I guarantee you that. If they had, if they had to do this in a one-week regular season situation, or, or, you know, previous playoff situation. No, they probably don't get it, do it as well. But they did have two weeks to do it. And they worked on it, and they got it damn near perfect. So great credit to the defensive backfield coach. Great tr- credit to Todd Bowles for, uh, for employing the tactic because it's the right thing to do. And then Kansas City helped them a little bit because they stayed wide open. They never decided to constrict the formation to help the two tackles that we've we've said over and over and over and over are overmatched. And that absolutely was true on Sunday. There was, I mean, you felt almost sorry uh, for Remmers and Wiley. But what Tampa Bay was able to do, and this was marvelous, and we talked a little about it in the in the preview show, was because of David and, and, and White's ability to blitz and the ability, particularly White, the ability to just whoop, get there right now, um, they were able with four rushers to create the aura of potential blitzes, which made the front three constrict and help each other out. And on stunts, they were magnificent. Tackle to tackle, they were picking off two and making them block one, which left the outside guys alone, one-on-one. And that's the matchups that the, that the Bucks we know, everybody in America knew were going to win. Um, not Andy's fault, not the Chiefs' fault. They just injury bug bit them. They had to make three moves. That's, uh, as we said in the preview show, that's suicide. It, it, it proved to be so. Um, you make three, three moves on the offensive line, it doesn't function. It, it just doesn't. They tried their best, but it just doesn't. And so fate dealt them a bad hand in the biggest game of all. But the bottom line is that the Bucks took advantage of it. And they were able, because the Chiefs didn't constrict, they were able 
to rush with four and and dominate the game with four guys, four really good rushers, by the way. <laughs> but none, you got to have those the good yeah. guys. I mean, right. if you don't have them, you're not in this game. Uh, but they were able to do it and then play that zone behind it, which effectively created uh, doubles, um, you know, that, that – neither Hill nor Kelsey could escape. And then at, at, when they wanted to blitz, um, it, it's a Hobson's choice, I recognize, but they made the right one. Um, you know, White's such a, a tremendous athlete and such a tremendous blitzer. You say you want him blitzing all the time. No, you don't, because he might be the only linebacker in captivity who can cover uh, Kelsey one-on-one. Right. So, <laughs> you know... They were able to they were able to use man and other kinds of combos with with, with him on Kelsey because Kelsey can't run away from him and can't muscle him, so um, they won they won the defense at every level scheme, execution, discipline, uh, and and ultimately just man on man battles, and we knew they were going to win the man on man battles outside against the two tackles. Uh, what we didn't know was that they would control the inside three as well as they did. I mean, they were perfect at it. They were perfect virtually at everything they did. So, so Bill, what, what you're, you know, I think what you 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 just told us, and it's kind of where you started. Brilliant X's and O's, and the Johnnies and Joes executed it as well as you could. Yeah, yeah. The other thing was that they they. I think they surprised, <clears throat> they certainly surprised Kansas City by their own admission. Andy and Hill after the game saying, we never expected to see as much zone as we did. Right. Hill said they played cover two and cover four the whole game. That's correct, depending on how you, you know, how you define cover four. But uh, they did. That's absolutely correct. And and Andy said, hey, in, in essence, uh the, the gentleman and, and, and uh, you know, great person that he is, he said, hey, hey, you know, score one for them. We didn't expect that they would play as, as much zone as they did, and we didn't, we didn't have the, uh, the answer for it. And, uh, but they also executed it tremendously well. And they kept their poise. They kept their poise. And they also... Uh, their front was terrific in the sense that they flushed Mahomes uh, very often, but the back end maintained their discipline. They didn't create voids, and the guys on the front kept working, kept working, kept working, kept pushing him, pushing him, pushing him. And as a result, even in, when he was in the pocket, they disrupted his timing. And we said last week, but it bears repeating, the object of pass rush is not to sack the quarterback. That's, that's a bonus if you get it, and a big bonus. But the object is to consistently disrupt his timing. And they did that, and they did it in such a way that it made his footwork uh, go to all to hell. And, and as a result, the accuracy isn't there. And in order to beat a zone, you have to be accurate. You have to throw it into the open windows. It's, it's a lot easier to beat man because once you have separation, 
you know, just throw the ball out there and let the receiver go get it. In against zone where the where they're running through occupied areas and the receivers may be headed for a train wreck, you have to put the ball in there accurately and on time. That's the whole secret of the West Coast passing game, which is Andy's taken a lot of Bill's, Bill Walsh's stuff and expanded upon it, but it's still, in essence, the West Coast offense. And so you you must, when, when that guy sits down, the ball has to be there on time and accurately. It's got to be on the right-hand number. It's got to be on the left-hand bottom number, depending on where the defender is. And they disrupted Mahomes in such a way that even though he's, he is the most gifted natural thrower in the game, he, he wasn't real accurate. In, now, they did complete a lot of passes, although not his typical. Let me see what the numbers were. There were he was 26 for 49 or something like that. Just bear with me. Um, uh, 26 for 49, that's exactly right. So uh, just barely above 50%. And, and that's because the rush was as disciplined as it was. And, and, it, it, and coupled with the zones, it forced him to be in a position where he couldn't be as accurate as he wanted to. How, how much, so from sort of, I've heard this question a lot this week, and from sort of the untrained fan eye, how much adjusting did Kansas City do? Because I think from an untrained fan perspective, it seemed like they didn't adjust a ton, but it's also hard to tell because the, the rush was there so quick. I mean, with your eye, how much did it seem like Kansas City's game plan evolved as the game went, or were they just not really adjusting that much? No, it, it evolved. They tried to chip on a couple of, on, on more than a couple of occasions, but you can't chip both tackles. That's the problem. And both were getting beaten. And you can't help inside. You know, you got to win three on two, and they didn't win three on two against the stunts. So it all started with on both sides of the ball up front. They, they couldn't win the battles there, even though they tried to chip and help. They had a play where they actually kept Kelsey in to, to help chip on the left-hand side, which would have been Remmers. And, uh, and, and you know, he tried and, and did a good job. They, they tried to chip with the back on more than a couple of occasions. That didn't work um, because the Bucks obviously were prepared for it, knowing they would have to do that. There was, that was the natural outgrowth of what the Bucks were doing. So they tried, but they, they, they couldn't get it done. In terms of the passing game, their concepts were fine. Uh, it's just that when you can rush with four and drop seven and you're releasing five, you got them overmatched on the back end. There's two more right. defenders. Yeah, there's <laughs> yeah. not much you can do. Yeah, yeah, there's not much you can do. Against zone, you sit down. You know, there's a basic coaching premise, which which maybe I don't think we've touched on this necessarily. It, might, it bears repeating. The, the or, or it bears explanation. Against man-to-man, the receivers are taught to run away from man. If you're covered man, just run away from the guy. It, it, however you do it, think about the A-B touchdown. He ran the wrong route. Supposed to go in and then go out, right? He went out, but he recognized it was man. So he said, okay, I'll run away. Turned inside, Brady saw it, touchdown. Right. Yeah. All right. You run away from man. Quarterback and receivers were, know it. They, they find they they do it. Zones. You're taught to sit down in the void. 
Find the void and sit down. And the quarterback will find you. So, and, 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 you, and you, you run uh, passing concepts, which the Chiefs did. I mean, they, they tried their best. Where you have levels against zones. You have a guy deep trying to threaten both the safety and the corner on that side. You have a guy in the middle coming across the middle trying to get behind the linebackers and in front of that threatened safety. And then you have a guy coming out in a check down area trying to bait the, the linebacker to come up, right? Typically, it will be Hill who's running that middle crossing route and you get him the ball at about 14 yards and he puts it in overdrive and takes off, right? right. And there's not people around him yeah. to tackle him. The Chiefs didn't bite. They didn't bite on the underside. They kept their eyes on him. They stayed in their zones. And and now Mahomes is going, who's open? Who's open? Whoops. That was the Bucks you were talking about. Yeah. God, Bucks, I'm sorry. And 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 so it was just a great game plan and great execution. It wasn't that Kansas City didn't adjust. They had the right patterns. They had the right concepts. They the, the Bucks just out executed them. Yeah. How much would you be worried about? So there's uh, again, it's totally from my sort of fan perspective, that you get these situations in football where maybe a team figure or a team shows a pathway for how you can attack another team. Is this going to be something that we see employed a lot in the league next year against Kansas City? I mean, obviously Tampa has the personnel to pull it off. And, I mean, I think Buffalo tried maybe a similar tactic. They did, actually. And couldn't pull it off. But they're going to see a lot of this next year, right? Yeah, sure. And they've seen a lot of it. But Buffalo tried it. It's just that, that you, 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 you know, you don't have the – you got to have the people to do it. you got to have the discipline to do it. And most importantly, you have to have the rushers to do it. If you don't have the rushers, it, it doesn't work at all. That's the bottom line. Right. And you got to have the tacklers. You gotta have, think about the kinds of players they have at every level. White inside is a game wrecker, right? He changes games. Right. And and David's not far behind. Uh-uh. He, he's he's pretty good. It's right there. Uh, you know what? On the back end, uh, the young safeties, uh, Murphy Bunting. I mean, they they got they got guys who can play back there, and they can play both styles. They can play man and zone, which is rare. Um, and then. Uh, up front, they got the two edge rushers and the two behemoths inside. Right. So, I mean, that's that's a hard combination to beat. You you can you you're better off playing with twelve than trying to outcoach them. <laughs> <laughs> so people can try and do it, but but it's not gonna it's not the same because the Johnnies and Joes aren't the same. Right. You know, and and when when uh, Tampa was on defense, it seemed you know. We, you, you had identified, Bill, that they had fewer weapons uh, on the Kansas City side. Right. And in the end, those were, I mean, the whole, they, to the degree they had any success, it was Kelsey and, and Hill and Edwards Alaire. I mean, that's all there was. But every time they were there, it seemed like one or like one of the receivers, one, two, or three guys were in the vicinity by the time, that, and he was throwing it to coverage. Every time, nobody really shook anybody. I mean, that handing off and, and rushing, coming up to the ball, seemed like they executed that just, in, I mean, as well as I've ever seen anybody execute a defense. 
Well, yeah, I mean, nobody's going to be wide open against zone. That's the whole purpose. Uh, you're going to get windows, and then you got to rally up and make the tackle, which they which they did great, and they didn't bite on the uh, on the underneath routes, which was designed to get them to vacate the zones. Um, they played the ball in the air exceptionally well. Um, the the last interception, the bounce off interception, is a perfect example of that. Three white shirts surrounding uh, a red shirt, and that's the way it's supposed to be. So it's it's design and execution. And, and even their technique uh, in not committing uh, DPI. I mean, the way they, the way they get there and bat the ball away was, to me, remarkable. Yeah, well, we said that last week. It's, 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 in watching them play in the secondary, they're magnificent. They really are. I mean, they're as good as New England ever was. And, and that's the cream of the crop. And, uh, and so in a game that was called like the 1980s, or early 90s, uh, 15 fouls, which is unheard of in the Super Bowl, and certainly, uh, you know, double what was called in the playoffs earlier. We can talk about that in a later part of the show, but uh, they committed only four fouls. And Kansas City, who was pretty handsy throughout the season, highly one among, I think, the third highest penalized team, and, 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 high up there in DPI and illegal contact and defensive holding got nailed. And, and some of them were borderline. I think they missed the one on Honey Badger in the end zone. That was, that really, there wasn't enough there to, to call it, but. And it sort of flop into hit the back of his feet kind of thing. And then the ball went over the head. No, 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 no. That was a good call. That was a good call. And which one are you talking? I'm talking about the, 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 uh, it was in the, End of the second quarter, right? End of the second quarter, yeah. yeah. Oh, that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that one. Okay. That seemed inevitable, though, anyways, that Tampa was going to score. It did. It did. But but the, the fact of the matter is it was a bad call. And uh, But you're going to – I mean, it wasn't egregiously bad. It was just there was a – most of the people I talked to, including Terry McCauley last night, said, you know, there, there wasn't enough there uh, for that one. But by and large um, – all the calls were were good calls. They just hadn't been made earlier this season. Yeah, right. And, and I think you sometimes, in my mind, sometimes you you know, if you've been playing handsy, if you've been committing DPI, you know, and something's close, I think if you haven't been playing clean, just the way they see it comes off different. Let alone giving you a break. So I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, if you if you play that way, I think you you know you have to pay the price. I mean, yeah, ultimately you do if the officials call it by the book. Uh, instead of let them play, uh, and you're a handsy team, you're going to get called. Uh, the prime example was Eli Apple. When Eli Apple came out, um, all of the all of the gurus are said, "This guy's tremendous. He's a great one-on-one guy. Wow, oh, he's tremendous. He's just what a pick. He'll be phenomenal." And as usual, you know, I was. I, 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 what Susie Cola's nickname? <laughs> contrarian. Yeah, no, there's something. It's bad news, Bill, or something like yeah. that. Bill, Buzzkill, Bill. Buzzkill. Uh, uh, Buzzkill, Bill said, no, 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 no. This guy plays with his hands, not his feet. He's going to get in trouble all the time in the NFL, and you don't break people of that habit. If you can't use your feet at the college level, if you got to use your hands, you're not going to make it in the NFL. And and I wasn't alone. I was I, I was not Nostradamus. It, it, it was just that. You know, non-football people were doing the doing the looking, and and 
I mean, you just you can't play with your hands. You got to play with your feet. So uh, w- when they call it properly, which they did in the Super Bowl and did not the whole previous season, and certainly did not in the Green Bay game, um, then those are going to be fouls. Now, I don't blame Kansas City quietly for complaining and saying, you know, why was this game called the way it was after we had 256 games, uh, actually more than that, 270-so games uh, called differently. Uh, I this was an all-star crew it was made up of the officials that were either first, second, or third at their position in the league. So um, I, I, I'm not privy anymore to the individual rankings that the clubs do on officials. Um, which are pretty close to what the league office rankings are. You never see the, the league office rankings, but every club does their own. And you get a, you actually get a scouting report on the officials every week. So uh, this was not uh, Sheffer's crew, but uh, the crew that he worked with during the season. But still, um, you know, they, they called it like they called it back in 19 uh, or back in, you know, 2005 when we or 2004 when we tightened up on DPI and, and illegal contact and, and and it's gone all to hell since but uh, they went back to the future and Kansas City paid the price well and even as we I think we talked about in the show prep last week I mean granted it's an all-star crew but statistically the penalties were in alignment with what Cheffers Cruz had called during the regular season I mean I think he was third in the league his crews were in DPI they were he was towards the top of the league in penalties called I mean obviously with an all-star crew you know that's the you know it's a little different but it, it was in alignment with kind of what you had seen with his regular crew during the season yeah and and the general belief and, and under sodium pentothal officiating department, people will tell you the crew usually reflects, if, especially if it's an experienced guy, reflects the, the, the priorities of the referee. Yeah, right. Because yeah. he conducts the weekly meetings. You know, it's, it's, he's the guy that sets the agenda. So that's a, a true statement, Scott. I think it proves out over time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Bill, are there any specific plays in terms of the X's and O's or uh, something else that you, you, you want to talk about uh, that, that are demonstrative of everything we've been saying? Well, I think that there's another um, area that we, that we haven't touched on, which is, um, which is special teams. We said last week in the prep show, they have to be perfect. You can't miss any field goals 40 or below can't miss any extra points. You can't have any blocked punts. You can't have penalties that affect the game that, that give the other team gifts. And shanks. while I didn't have any blocks, they had two shanks, which led to two scores. Um, they gave Brady two gifts, uh, three gifts, both the shanks and then the penalty that allowed the buck drive to continue when they were about to kick a field goal. And, uh, and, they, and that, came from, uh, that came from illegal alignment, which is inexcusable. I mean, that's a self-inflicted wound. It's, it's not even a, a penalty of commission. It's a penalty of omission. So that, that, that's a bad, bad penalty. Two bad penalties. Uh, 
in the kicking game and, and two bad field position mistakes with shank punts. And, and the second shank was a do-over because they uh, uh, Honey Badger right. had committed a penalty in right. lining up offsides. And so it took away a 56-yard punt, yeah. which, was a, right. which was a good one, and, and replaced it with a shank. So uh, the special teams were beaten, if anything, worse than the offenses and defenses. And that shouldn't happen because you, you don't want to have um, self-inflicted penalties. I mean, that, that you can avoid those. And don't forget, um, even though I didn't think it was a good call, um, three years ago in the AFC Championship game, Sorensen intercepted a ball that ended the game. The game was over. The Chiefs, it was about a minute and a half left. The Chiefs were going to kneel it out. New England had no timeouts. Flag for lining up in the neutral zone. Yeah. Well, you know, once is a bad call. Twice is an error that needs to be corrected. That's 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 critical efficiency, and they were not critically efficient, really, all night. Again, I don't want to beat the tackles over the head. You can't ask a guy to do something that that he's that he's not capable of doing. I mean, you can't blame him if if he's not capable of it. It's just the luck of the draw. Lady Luck didn't smile on him. She created a mismatch with in, with injuries. That's all there is to it. Or the football gods, or whoever you want to, yeah. <laughs> you want to blame it on, but it's not the fault of the coaches, and it's not the fault of the player. Uh, so that one, you, you know, you kind of shrug your shoulders and say, "Well, okay, it happened." But the ones that that come back to haunt you a little bit are the are the self inflicted wounds, and they had plenty of them. So in the end, uh, Tampa Bay outplayed them on offense. They outplayed them on defense. They outplayed them on the special teams. They played smarter. They played cleaner. Uh, anything else? <laughs> well, I, I think we ought to talk a little about the officiating because Terry McCauley came on uh, on late hits last night, and, and, and we, we spoke at length about the officiating, so it's worthwhile covering. Some of this is old ground uh, that we've covered before on this show, but hearing it validated from Terry McCauley, who, by the way, for those that don't know, was a 20-year referee in the league, one of the best. Uh, while he was refereeing, he was also uh, the supervisor of officials for the Big East and then later for the successor conference. When Terry took over as supervisor for the Big East, they were the worst officiating group in college football. He transformed them in a year, so much so that the in those days, whatever they called the championship game, uh, was officiated by a Big East crew. Uh, so, uh, you, you know, he, he knows where as, where at, whereof he speaks. And, uh, and he's a guy, you know, even when I was uh, a member of the competition committee and, 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 and competing with the officials every week, <laughs> I, had, I had high regard for him. Uh, and always enjoy hearing him. So his point of view was this. Um, all of a sudden this year, without any warning, there came a public um, announcement from the officiating office that the approach to officiating was going to be, the call had to be clear and obvious for it to be a penalty. Regardless of what the rule book said, it had to be clear and obvious. They were imposing another standard on the rule book. 
except that no one knows what clear and obvious means. It's in the eye of the beholder. Right. Exactly. And so it gave each, according to Terry, and I agree completely, it gave each individual official license to call whatever he felt was appropriate. Instead of one standard, one very specific standard that is supposed to be uh, ascribed to by everybody, where, where you do get differences on the margins, but nonetheless on the margins. Right. You now had a standard that was interpretable by each individual official as they saw fit. And so that's the definition of an inconsistency. And um, the object, clearly, when you look at the statistics, was to reduce penalties. And D. Smith let the, the cat out of the bag in his uh, sort of, what would you call it, postscript to Roger Goodell's press conference on, uh, on Wednesday, I guess it was, um, when he said, uh, great year, no injuries, fewer penalties, scoring's up, we don't need OTAs, everything's great. <laughs> Uh, you prove once again, D, that you're a good labor lieber, but not a good football man. <laughs> uh, uh, fewer penalties don't make for a better game. They make for the, some of the kinds of melees that, that we saw during the season and in court we saw the other night where, God help us, the alternate officials have to come on the field to prevent Brady and the Honey Badger from getting in a dust-up and, uh, and other players coming in to join it. Now, I don't know if they're, by the way, if that's their job. Uh, if I were still a member of the competition committee, that's the first phone call I would have made. Say, whoa, who said they can get on the field to break up to break up fights? Uh, it's only if Brady's fighting that they do that. <laughs> <laughs> no, let's not go there. That was, that, 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 that was the other rule. That's the other rule change. Clear and obvious and Brady. Yeah. It, it, it's no, it's not. It's not. It's not. And that, and, it, and, that, and that does the whole issue of the service to bring that up. But the fact of the matter is, and Terry and I went back and revisited the history of it, I believe in 05, somewhere around there, um, the competition committee decided that every year we would do a thorough review of one of the big four penalties, offensive holding, defensive holding, DPI, unnecessary roughness. And, and we would, in essence, rewrite the rule book and explain to everyone, coaches, players, officials, fans, media, uh, that cared to read it, um, it was, it was required reading for the first three groups, that the following skills, the following techniques are will be called fouls. So in the example of DPI, defensive pass interference, an arm bar where, you read, where the defender reached out and extended his arm and impeded, restricted the receiver was per se a foul. If you saw an arm bar... Don't worry about the degree of restriction. Throw the flag, right. right? Making myself clear on that, do I need to define degree of restriction? 
Okay. Strict liability under the law. You commit strict. Exactly what the lawyers on the committee immediately said. Strict liability. That's exactly right. So, kudos to you, Rick, for reviving a, a, a an old refrain. <laughs> so, arm bars, no good. Uh, you see an arm bar, it's a foul. You see a jersey grabbed, it's a foul. Don't worry about how hard he grabbed it, where he grabbed it. He can't grab it. Now, the officiating department fought vigorously against this. They did not want it. And in fact, there are a lot of raised voices and a lot of less than uh, polite words exchanged in these meetings. And a real funny incident, Gene Washington was then the director of uh, vice president of football operations for the league and had been a great receiver with the 49ers and a quarterback at Stanford, actually, and played for Bill Walsh and understood all the concepts of the West Coast offense. And um, the late Jerry Seaman, God rest his soul, was the, was the officiating supervisor. And, and Jerry was saying exactly what Mike Pereira, probably a Freudian slip of the tongue, said in, in, in the Green Bay game, Green Bay-Tampa game, in response to a Troy Aikman question, Mike said, well, the receivers are being allowed to play through the restriction. <laughs> <laughs> so Jerry says to Gene, Gene, the receiver has to be able to play through the restriction. <laughs> Gene said, Why? <laughs> Why? Where in the book does it say you can restrict the receiver? And, and so the argument was, was over whether or not grabbing a jersey was a restriction. And, and Gene said, what the beep, 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 don't you understand about restriction? If I grab your jersey, I restricted you. <laughs> yeah. So the, the, um, that has been the norm up until... This year now it erodes the reason the competition committee said we'll go back and review it every five years, is because those standards do erode over time. Number one, officials they get they get lax in calling them because officials, whether you they say it or not, are cognizant of how many fouls are called. They are because they know the league offices. It's that simple, and the media now is. We have so many, uh, you know, pseudo. Uh, officiating supervisors in the media. I mean, it's disgraceful. <laughs> I don't know how you how you become an officiating supervisor by reading the rule book once and never attending a meeting and never being on the field or never being in the locker. I don't. Yeah. But but they but you are right. You know you can anoint yourself an officiating supervisor. You've never officiated anything, but you're actually a Correct. supervisor of officials. That's right. Yeah. So <laughs> anyway, they're conscious of how many flags are are thrown. And and D. Smith is the is the is the voice of the fan, you know. Ah, great, more scoring, no penalties, let them play. And then when his guys get fines for being in fights and causing disruptions and things like that, then he gets mad. But the 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 fact of the matter is that the standards erode over time, and so uh, you have to go back and revisit them. Well, they haven't been. And then you add clear and obvious on top of that, and you get what we got this year, which was a 50% reduction in offensive holding and a close to 50% reduction in DPI and defensive holding. Now, why should anyone care? 
And, and more importantly, why should owners who ultimately make the rules care? Because when you pay Dominican Sue, when you pay all these other great players, the Rams' great defensive tackle, all that money, you invest five years and all the cap money, all the cap space into pay, paying these great players because you presume that the rules are going to be enforced as they have been previously. And then you let the journeyman, just average offensive and defense, uh, excuse me, offensive tackle and guard who can't play and can't line up against these guys the longest day they live, restrict them, and you don't call it. You've just cost the owner a ton of money. And you've made the general manager ineffective because he's made it a uh, he's made a decision to pay that great star. And that great star is being negated by some guy that's making minimum wage, minimum right. football wage. Excuse yeah, me. exactly. Not, <laughs> Not the new $15 minimum no, wage. No, no, no. A little, little more. But, you know, Bill, to me, and, and uh, not to get too deeply philosophical about it, but, you know, to me, it, it also flies in the face of what actually most people watch sports for in the sense that sports – is the ultimate meritocracy. Sports is the one place where there's a clear set of rules for the world that exists inside the white lines. And one thing you expect is it doesn't matter if, you know, if this guy's popular or unpopular, this or that. The rules are the rules, and the officials are just there to enforce them and have a, a literally a fair playing field for everybody. So when you don't call it, to me, that strikes at the essence of what we love about sports. Yeah, that's correct. That's absolutely correct. So anyway, that, that this game was a back-to-the-future game officiating as well. The officiating matched the style of play in the sense that it was, it was like watching a game in the late 80s or early 90s, and, and, and even in the, in the early 2000s. So uh, in that sense, it was a throwback and uh, maybe appropriate for the COVID era. I don't know. But, uh, uh, you know, a, a really, a really great football game by the Bucks, and and not the best performance the Chiefs have ever had in, in, in a number of areas. Do you think there are things that the Chiefs should do this offseason? I mean, there was a lot of Twitter chatter about this in terms of their, should they, how much of their focus should be on their offensive line. Where should they kind of put their focus head into the offseason knowing that Tampa's going to bring everybody back next year? Well, first of all, you, I mean, you can't, you can't build your team – based on what Tampa does. You know, Tom could suddenly decide to retire and everything changes, right? Uh, that, that, that's a really good football team, and they added some good pieces this year, but uh, how would they be with Jameis Winston at quarterback? So, I mean, every, 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 things could change overnight. You just have to build the best team you can build. And, and, and Andy knows this, and part of that is improving the offensive line. Mahomes makes up for a lot of sins, uh, but not – at the Super Bowl or championship game level. Um, so you have to improve that. They need to improve the defensive line. They got to get, ed, you know, better ed, edge rushers. That's, that's, there's no question about that. You, well, you also hope Mitchell Schwartz is coming back. Well, if he does, he does. You know, if, if uh, Duvernay Tardif comes back, then that's, that's good too. That means we're out of COVID. Which would be a great thing. It would be a great thing. <laughs> yes. That's right. For many more reasons than, yeah. than just yeah. the football. Exactly. Just, yeah, that's a that's true. <laughs>
Well, cool. All right. Well, that is our wrap on Super Bowl 55. Well, there you go. I think I'm going to kick us into the audibles today. Here we go. I'm, I'm doing some audible questions. So, all right. So, uh, Bill, this is kind of a dovetail onto some of what we talked about last week, but we got this fan question. Am I wrong for not being excited about the possibility, if you believe the press, that the Jets have a shot at Watson? I don't know if you want to pay the price to get him. Our team needs a lot of help. Uh, well, I, they, they probably do have a shot at getting him because here's places he won't go. He won't be traded in the division. They'd rather not trade him in the conference if they, if they can get away with it. Um, and he has a, no, uh, he has a uh, right of refusal in his contract where, where he can refuse a trade to certain teams. Um, but that's, I think, rather, I mean, it's not really germane. Uh, they'll know that going in. So, and then the third part of it is, who has a quarterback to give them that can replace him and has some degree of potential to lead them to the promised land in the future, or at least to lead them to a winning season? So, the Jets have the draft capital to pay. They have Darnold to give back which is not chopped liver. And he apparently, uh, I read somewhere where he said that he was amenable to playing in New York. So I, I would think there's a real possibility that if they chose to trade him, they could strike a deal with the Jets. I don't think they're going to trade him. Keep in mind that, that Nick, the new general manager, comes from New England. And New England is a, is a place where Players, uh, it, it's the anti-NBA. Players do not run right. the organization. And, uh, and so, and I applaud that, by the way. <laughs> but, but the, uh, uh, so I, I'm, I, if, I, if I had to bet, I would say the odds probably are, you know, 55, 45, that he'll be, that he'll be with the, with the uh, Texans or not playing at all. All right. Hey, look at that. I get two today because I think Rick doesn't have the other question. All right. Rick, so, Rick is shanking today. Rick, Rick, Rick is uh, a, <laughs> hey, and we're, and we're not talking about Jimmy Graham. So there you go. <laughs> All right. Could Bill give us some of his thoughts on this year's Hall of Fame class, not including the obvious love he must have that Peyton Manning is in? Uh, yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, Alan Fanica, uh, outstanding run blocker, um, you know, kind of a middle of the road pass blocker, but played in a time when run blocking was really important. Uh, really good leader, long career, very durable, very tough. Um, been a, a finalist for a long period of time and, uh, kind of the, the general consensus of the cognoscenti, if you will, was that they were going to put in one offensive lineman and it was a question of he or Baselli. And I think there was a significant number of voters that felt he'd waited long enough and Baselli had, had had a short career. So if you're going to make a, make a decision, uh, go in favor of Fanica. This was voters. Football people would say just the reverse. The tack tackles the much harder position to play Baselli was clearly the best player when he played. He only had a six-year career, but 
during those six years, he was the best tackle or among the top three in the league. And, uh, and, and so, uh, you know, football people probably would have gone Baselli's way, but, but the voters saw Fanica as being deserving, and he was. Anybody that was in the final 10 is, is deserving. It's, it's, not, it's a question of splitting hairs at that point. Megatron was, uh, was the only question with Megatron was, is nine years too short a career? Elite receivers typically play 10 or more, and the best ones will get up into the 12- and 13-year range. That's where Reggie Wayne was. That's where Torrey Holt was. Um, so the question is, does Megatron go in on the first try um, for a, you know, a guy that had a nine-year career and left of his own volition? But his numbers, if you compared them to the people who played 12 and 13 years, uh, Holt and, 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 and Wayne, uh, were uh, excellent. And, uh, and uh, uh, you know, he was a dynamic player, um, a guy that caught everybody's eye. And, and voters, while they do look at the, at the, at the numbers, uh, if the numbers are equal... They, I think they. It's fair to say they let their mind's eye make the make the call. And in Megatron's case, once you got past the short career issue, um, which was in the voting was actually, I mean that was dismissed pretty early. Um, at least in the discussion, it was. You don't know how anybody else but yourself votes. Um, the the bottom line is that he was he was. If you got past the career issue, the length of career issue, he was going to be a, a shoe in. So that's, uh, let's see, that's Peyton. We've covered Fanica. We covered Megatron. Uh, Woodson was uh, also a shoe in. I mean, he, he, he had a long career. He had a stellar career. He was phenomenal in Green Bay. The numbers all added up. Uh, and, and so, ironically, ironically, the guy who beat Peyton out for the Heisman Trophy, which I felt was was terribly unjust, and Peyton go in together in the Hall of Fame. So <laughs> it's pretty cool, very cool. Who gets to speak last? Uh, that, that's decided by television. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Peyton's probably going to go in the middle because he's the he's the he's the he's the uh, the highlight guy. Very cool. All right. Well, gang, that covers us for this week. That's our review of Super Bowl 55. As always, if you have questions for the Audible, please hit us up on Twitter at IFBillPolian, and we will be sure to cover it. And we'd like to thank today's sponsor, Podcorn. Uh, as always, uh, thanks for a good show, gang. Thank you. Stay safe, everybody. Mask up, please. Two of them. <laughs> Although, you know, three might be too much. All right, guys. Okay. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, 
for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.